Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another HitSave Indie interview podcast, videocast, whatever you want to call it. Uh, today, I'm here with Alex Rushdie from 13AM Games. Hello, Alex. Hello. Do you want to introduce yourself a bit, who you are and what you do at 13AM Games? Sure. Yeah, so I'm, uh, I've kind of got two major jobs at 13AM Games. I'm the... Uh, CEO, so I'm in charge of kind of business development and direction, and I'm the creative director. Uh, I mean, that's project dependent, but most recently I was creative director on Dawn of the Monsters. Awesome. Yeah, and we'll we'll dive into Dawn of the Monsters a bit um, uh, later in the show here. Uh, but first, I want to dive into uh, who you are and how you got to where you are, and then we'll dive into 13 AM games a little more as well. So how did you get started in game development? How did you get to where you are right now? So I I kind of stumbled into it. I didn't intend to go into game development. I was originally, I studied visual art and design with the intent to go into film and video production. And I did film and video production for about a year. I wasn't that hot on it. And... I'd always been I'd, I'd always been interested in in video games. I'd always loved video games, but I wasn't really. I mean, I'm I'm from a visual art and design background. Uh, I didn't want to learn programming. It wasn't something that felt really jived with my skill set. And then I found out that like, oh no, you don't have to be a programmer to work in video games. Uh, there are so many other jobs, and designer is one of them. And uh, at the time, I was actually, I took a gap year. I was living in the Czech Republic. I was volunteering there at an international school. And I was, it was, I wouldn't know that had been 2012, um, 2012, 2013. And I had kind of grown disillusioned with the current state of video games. Um, I think that was the year that E3 had. I want to say six kind of gray brown military shooters as the <laughs> standout titles and I was just like man I like the the hobby was clearly growing away from my taste and interest yeah you know? yeah I, I I remember that that time period as well it was very it was, gray and, it was a dark, and time. dark yeah. brown yeah it was a dark time for sure um and that's when I kind of got the idea well, like okay if if I'm going to complain about the video games I don't like, maybe I could try to work and make video games I do like. So I I applied to study in a postgrad game design program in Toronto, met a bunch of other extremely talented people in that program, and together we kind of founded a mock company that we called 13AM Games. We did a game jam. We created a very early prototype of our first game, Runbow, and it garnered enough traction and attention that our professors and the college were like, you guys should finish this game. Uh, we'll help you out. Like, we'll give you uh, office space for a year. Um, 
We'll give you computers that you can you can use for the year. Finish the game. So we finished it, you know, with the intention of okay, we'll finish the game and then we'll have a resume to go get real jobs. Uh, but the game kind of got picked up by, you know, N- Nintendo caught wind of it. We reached out to them to show them the game, and at that time with the Wii U, it was like kind of exactly what they were looking for: something that shows off the Wii U hardware. It was like a nine-player game couldn't do anywhere else and it was part of their kind of burgeoning at the time eShop initiative they had this this branding for indies called nindies we were mm-hmm. among the first nindies that they they ever had so it kind of worked out perfectly for us in that we were able to get a lot of coverage and support from nintendo and the game i mean we we it, it was a wii U exclusive it didn't make a ton of money but it made enough uh that we were able to keep making games and here we are some eight years later. And Runbo, was that ported to the Switch as well? Yeah, a- after the Wii U, we ported it to the PC, Xbox, 3DS, and then Switch and PS4 shortly after that. So, so pretty, much, pretty much everything. Yeah, you're on all platforms. So uh, yeah. what, what was that process like? You You got a game released on the Wii U. You got Nintendo's um, uh, eyes on you, essentially. What? How did that feel? That, that was your first game. Um, how, how did that feel? It was amazing. It was pretty overwhelming. Um, certainly not what any of us expected. You know, it, it definitely felt like we were getting a ton of traction. Right? That's the way I like to describe it is we we're getting a lot of forward traction and momentum. Um, which was which was really great and pretty intense. Um, we were all pretty fresh out of college at the time. We worked ourselves to the bone to get that game out in time. Um, our our industry likes to condemn crunch mm-hmm. uh, from the big guys, but we like to forget about it or pretend it doesn't exist with the little guys. When in reality, that's where I think like ninety percent of major crunching happens we we worked ourselves raw on that damn game to get it finished um thankfully we don't do that anymore but uh that's good that's good we we the reason we could do it is because we were all so excited about it because we all owned it right it was it was our game we weren't working for someone else's um company it was our game it was our company and we believed in it so yeah it was it was uh pretty incredible and pretty overwhelming for us that's awesome so how did you go from from uh Runbow to your your future titles? What was the um kind of the the genesis of your next title? So the thing about our studio is we we all came from very different backgrounds and none of us really had experience managing a business. So we completed Rumbo, and I think that we were expecting it to be a Shovel Knight success. It wasn't a Shovel Knight success, but by the metrics of like any other reasonably-minded indie studio, it was pretty darn good. Um, especially over the lifetime of the of the game, it's it's made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. The problem for us was twofold. One, it didn't make all of its money right at the start. So we couldn't just be like, okay, we have this huge chunk of change. Let's put it into a new game. 
And the other was that like, we didn't know how to structure a business. So we were, we didn't want to get pigeonholed into what to do next. We weren't sure what to do next. So we started pitching for a lot of projects that were, you know, pretty much above our pay grade. Um, we kind of like, for a while, we, we kind of floundered and, and we didn't really have a, a good idea of what to build next until eventually we just said, okay, let's, um, let's come up with a cool mechanic. Let's prototype the mechanic and then let's try to get government funding. And if that's not enough, try to get a publisher on board, build the game. And so that mechanic was initially about magnetism. And having a, like a 2D platformer built around magnetism. Um, and we showed it to Nintendo and they were like, yeah, this is cool. But like, have you heard of Teslagrad? And Teslagrad is like a 2D platformer about magnetism. So then we were all like, shit, they're right. We got to rethink this. <laughs> so then we, we started to play around with the idea of instead of it being uh, magnets, it being a kind of like an energy tether. And we found out this really cool control scheme where you could have a really precise method of targeting objects uh, and enemies with a energy tether and either grabbing them or moving yourself forward and swinging around like Spider-Man. And eventually that turned into Double Cross, which we released with Graffiti Games in really really early 2019 it was like a january release um and and we ended up kind of turning that into a a bit of a mix of 2d action platformer meets adventure game um it's a very interesting game but it 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 didn't do very well uh and i think part of that is because it was such a bizarre mix of of concepts and a lot of that came down to us kind of throwing everything in but the kitchen sink into the design um but you know we learned a lot from it and we were able to build on it in a lot of ways and so for our next title we went back to an early concept that we had had uh about a giant kaiju fighting game and we re-envisioned it as a co-op title and built on of monsters and that's become one of our most critically acclaimed games that we've put out um, a much more focused and kind of realized vision and design. Um, but we started that in, I'd say, mid-2019, early 2019. And then we got way forward on board with the project. And, you know, then COVID happened and bing, bang, boom. Like three years later, almost, we were able to get, get it out back in March. What, so. Let, let's dive into that a bit. So you got WayForward uh, as the publisher, is that right? Yeah. Um, and your team, is is everyone based out of Toronto or uh, how does that work? Pretty much. So before the pandemic, we actually had office building, like, like a, mm-hmm. an actual physical office here in Toronto. And in 2020, we got rid of that. After we realized that, like, oh, this pandemic's not going to, it's not just going to be a couple weeks. Yeah. Um, so we transitioned to work from home. And so while the majority of people are in Toronto or in the GTA, there are a 
Actually, I think there's just one. Our CFO, Tom, he's up in Sudbury. Because mm-hmm. basically during the pandemic, he was like, you know what? I'm going to buy a house in a place where a house is affordable. And he left Toronto. Uh, it's a, uh, yeah. not a bad idea. Not a bad idea at all, in my opinion. Uh, but so, I'm still here in Toronto. How was that transition from being in the office um, during the week and working on things and being with, with colleagues and kind of um, working off each other and, and iterating quickly? How, how was that transition to a complete remote only? Uh, I think that, like, it, it, it was very difficult, but I also feel like we probably had an easier transition than most companies and industries. We were already set up over a network, you know, as far as submitting builds and pushing and pulling and sharing content. So that was already set up. The main challenge was in how do we change how we communicate as a group? Mm -hmm. And the tool that was super helpful for us in making that transition pretty smoothly was Discord. Um, Whereas a lot of companies use like Zoom and stuff. I kind of like hate Zoom. I I don't really (laughs) like Google Hangouts. I mean, I like like Google Meetings a little bit better than Zoom, I guess. But anyways, it was all... It was weird, right? It was uh, there was all these different tools, and the one that worked the best for us was Discord because we could basically set up virtual meeting rooms mm-hmm. and be like, "Hey, everyone, come to this meeting room," or "Hey, I'm going to meet with design in the design room. The artists are going to chat in the art room, and tech is going to meet in the tech room and talk to the production or whatever." Um, it and like at any time we could share screens, we could do all sorts stuff that really helped uh so i mean that first thing was figuring out how to communicate with with each other as an organization and keep that communication clean we also use slack still Mm -hmm. um which we were already using and then the other one was just on, on the more personal side getting used to the idea of working in my own home um probably i don't know if you can see it but like my bed is like right over there and when we started work from home I would have dreams where the entire company was in my bedroom working. <laughs> and I was like, oh, geez, this is Yeah, because this is gonna take some getting used to. Yeah, I mean you you essentially invited everyone into your bedroom when when you have video calls in your bedroom. I'm down here in my basement. So I invite everyone over to my basement, essentially. Uh, yeah. This is where I do my work. And also, here's my couch, and, and all my video games are over there. Um, I see a nice big CRT. Yeah, I see you got a Love CRT you. behind you, too. Of course. Of course. A man of taste. <laughs> I actually got one. Um, uh, another um, pat- um, Sony Trinitron on the uh, the floor as well. Um, I, I've, got, I've, got another, I've got a Trinitron next to this one. Sideways, so I can play like shmups and stuff. So. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, no, I, I I totally see what you mean. Um, the transition um, happened for us as well. So I I, I work at uh, VMware, a large IT company, and of course everyone just turned over to remote. I had been working remote for a while already so it wasn't a big change for me but it was a big change to have everyone else be remote as well for sure yeah 
Yeah, and and it, it, I, you know, I I had worked when I was working in video production. I was working by um, you know, sole proprietor. I was a sole proprietor, so I would just do everything by myself. And I ended up actually renting office space. This was back in like 2011 or something. I rented office space, um, so that I would actually have to go to work and keep it out of my mm-hmm. out of my home. And and that's one of the things that I learned was like really important. Is like because I'm in game development, I actually have a pretty beefy PC, right? I could run all sorts of PC PC games, but I never play games on my computer because this space, when I'm sitting in this chair, I'm in work mode. Yeah. And if I want to relax, I can either like sit on my bed and play my CRTs or I have another room that has like a couch with an HDTV and it's like I'm I'm in I'm in relax mode. Keep yeah. them very separate. because uh, if they start to meld together, uh things get bad for me. <laughs> yep. Totally totally get that. Totally get that. Yeah. So um you worked through the uh, the pandemic on Dawn of the Monsters and um then you released it when? Uh, in March, I think it was March 15th of this year. Awesome. So what, what was the reception like? Uh, the reception was, so it's interesting. I mean, overwhelmingly positive. People really loved the game. And a lot of, uh, people said a lot of really nice things. Um, a lot of things, you know, when, when you're developing a game, you're never sure if what you're making is going to resonate with people or not in the, in the way you intend it. Uh, it doesn't matter if you think it's good or not. It's just like, will it act? Will people actually like get it? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people did because we were trying to like. I, I love side scrolling beat 'em ups, but I always felt that the evolution of side scrolling beat 'em ups kind of stopped when 3D beat 'em ups like Devil May Cry and Ninja Gaiden started to come out. And I was like, why can't a side scrolling beat 'em up have the depth and and nuance of that kind of combat? And that's what we did with Dawn of the Monsters. It, it plays more like Bayonetta than it does like Final Fight. And people picked up on that. And they really appreciated this, the, the amount of content we added to try to differentiate it from other beat-em-ups on the market. And, and some people even said, oh, this is, this is like the next step for beat-em-ups. And I was like, ooh, I, I like the sound of that. Um, so that was all good. However... It released in March 15th of 2022, which means it was like, I want to say two weeks after Elden Ring. Mm. So getting anyone to pay attention to this game was an absolute nightmare. Um, Really difficult to get people to even just like review it on time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Super tough. Super And And of course, I mean, we had our core of fans that were like ready for the game when it launched and stuff but getting outside of that into the general gaming like there's some beat-em-ups that have done numbers this year but it's like ninja turtles right Mm -hmm. you know ninja turtles is a multi-billion dollar franchise of course they they were in you know of course ign reviewed them uh ign getting ign to to review our game was like uh it's impossible (laughs) so it was a bit of a challenging launch from that perspective as well so Critically, really, really great, but uh, we weren't able to get as much of a response from the general gaming public that we'd hoped we would get. So I've been trying this out for the past week, and I've been having a lot of fun with it. And one of the things that I really like about it is the uh, the story itself. It's not a regular beat 'em up story, um, and 
very sci-fi, lots of kaijus, um, and yeah, you just fight monsters, and you're you're a monster yourself. You can control monsters and, and beat up other monsters. I mean, that's that's really freaking cool. Uh, <laughs> so I, I've been having a blast with it. Um, I'm I'm not the best at beat 'em ups, but and it took me a while to understand the uh, the controls uh, and then to actually utilize the augments that you have in there as well. Yeah. And I really like that mechanic, the the augment mechanic, because um, it, it definitely adds uh, kind of a personal touch to how you play. Um, with those um, with those augments there, so I and then yeah, upgrades and skins and all that good stuff. But the the augments definitely made a big difference compared to a bunch of other beat 'em ups that I've played um, lately. Thank you. Yeah, that was a, that was another key factor for us in designing this game. Was I mean, there's a whole like philosophical discussion about difficulty in video games and all that kind of stuff. Um, and like, I wouldn't say I'm entirely opposed to the idea of like difficulty settings, but I always think there's something elegant about when a game can try to conform to what the player wants to do and let them, cause like a difficulty setting, it might be like, okay, we'll just reduce the health of enemies. But like if a player mm -hmm. struggles with the idea of dodging or parrying, it doesn't matter if the enemies are low health, they're still going to get hit. So that's one of the reasons we included augments is not only is it fun to like build different types of characters, but you can kind of self-identify, oh man, I keep running out of rage or health mm -hmm. or whatever. You can be like, okay, well, I'm going to build my kit to, to deal with that issue. Right. Um, and I think that was, I'm, I'm pretty happy with, with how that turned out. And I'm glad to hear that, that you enjoyed uh, playing around with those. Yeah, yeah, it, it's super fun. I um I finished the uh the the first Toronto uh not mission but uh chapter. So I finished that oh, nice. um yesterday. And as I was playing through, I got like it, because you get graded after every mm -hmm. level as well. And you get graded throughout the levels. And at at first I was it was just abysmal. Of course, but then as it was, it was getting closer to the end, it was like S plus, and then I think the the last one it was like an F, <laughs> because I was too slow. But it was it was really fun, and I I like that um the the boss battle mechanic as well um, because it's mm -hmm. it's vastly different. It's not just a a strong boss that you need to beat, but you have a lot of different elements to the boss things that they do. Um, the, the bosses, uh, things they do, and, and special attacks that you need to uh, be on lookout for. It's it has a lot of depth. So yeah, I I really really enjoyed it. That's great to hear. But so I know you're a big fan of big monsters. I saw you have a collection of Godzilla VHS tapes. Yep. So I do. <laughs> How did that come about, and, and where did this love of giant monsters come from? From a very specific set of circumstances, I think. So when I was, I must have been like four, four or five years old, as some somewhere around that age, in the uh, in the mid nineties, and 
I always I love dinosaurs. I was really obsessed with them. I could name them all. I had so many books about dinosaurs. And I went to Zeller's one day with my babysitter. And uh, Zeller's is you know, just a Canadian department store. Fun- funnily enough, I've got a Zeller's mug right here. <laughs> nice. um, and they had a, a, a bunch of toys for Godzilla. And I was looking at them and I didn't know what a Godzilla was. And I was like, I don't, I don't, I was talking to my babysitter, Sharon. I said, I, I don't recognize this dinosaur. Mm-hmm. What dinosaur is this? And she had grown up in Wales and I guess had watched all the Godzilla movies on TV. And so she was like, oh, that's not a dinosaur, Alex. That's, that's Godzilla. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, what's a Godzilla? And then she explained it to me, you know, this sounds best thing ever <laughs> and and i actually i still have that she bought me the godzilla i still have it here it sits on my desk oh that's awesome and um he, he's been through a lot <laughs> <laughs> I love uh, that that sparked my love of of kaiju because after that it was okay well I, I found all the godzilla movies on on videotape or i rented them or wherever i could find, you know look through the tv guide listings and earmark them and uh and i couldn't get enough of them and then eventually i watched all the godzilla movies so then i had to watch gamma movies and then i mm-hmm. watched all of those and then well okay i now i gotta watch ultraman and uh of course king kong and all the all the giant monsters. so that was a really big part of my childhood and then i think as well things like things like pokemon and and digimon really just kind of further fueled that love. Cause I mean, in many ways, those are just more Kaiju. Mm-hmm. They, they're maybe not as big, but it's a lot of the same stuff. And, uh, uh, but what, what I think has kind of kept my love of the genre is that as I got older and would rewatch these films, they had a lot more depth for, you know, a teenage and adult audience than i expected especially like the original godzilla film which is actually a a pretty somber and harrowing film but a a lot of them have a lot of they've got a lot more to talk about than you would expect thinking oh this is just about giant monsters they talk about the cold war they talk about environmentalism they talk about all these headier concepts uh so you know at a base level it's really fun to look at the monsters and then different level it's like oh these are actually like well-made films that are Mm -hmm. that have something more to say than than your usual pop culture media and so yeah i still every time there's anything new with giant monsters i gotta check it out on on my watch list is they just released a a movie called troll on netflix about a giant troll that appears in somewhere in norway It, it looks great apparently it's getting really good reviews but that's that's the next giant monster on my hit list I'll have to check that out. So I'm I'm from Sweden and my wife's from Norway. So I'll I'll put that on my list. There you go. Sure. There you yeah. go. Actually, my my uh, what would it be? My grandmother, or I guess my great grandmother and great grandfather are from Sweden. I haven't, oh, cool. I haven't been there yet. But yeah, I've got some Swedish blood in me. Got to head awesome. back there. Awesome. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a great place. Highly recommend visiting. Yeah. Um. So the um as I was playing uh Dawn of Monsters here, one thing that I uh really liked 
um, again, adding more depth, not just the story, but then you have the archives as well mm. within the game where you can dive deeper into the lore. Um, how did that come about? And was that to build on top of something? Um, was that to build on top of other beat-em-ups that were just straight left to right, beat everything, uh, and then done? Did you uh, Was that planned from the beginning to have that archive in there? That that came from a from a number of kind of observations. So early on, when we knew we were going to make this game, we I kind of led the team on a guided tour of the genre. We would have movie nights. This is pre-pandemic. We would have movie nights every week, and we would watch a monster movie or a TV show, and then we'd discuss it to try to understand our target audience. And one thing that I've always felt when it came to other, not, not necessarily other beat-em-ups, though, I mean, that, that could be the case, but other, other giant monsters, like there, there have been a Godzilla game, Superman games, is that the only thing that they do a good job, and sometimes not even that great of a job of doing, is trying to create monster action. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they're pretty mindless, sometimes they're pretty simple. And it, it was always strange to me because being in this fandom of giant monster movies for so long, people like these movies not just for giant monster fights, but because of the worlds that, that are built on screen, the characters that exist in them and relationships between them. There's always there's so much more than just monsters kicking the crap out of monsters. And I wanted to I wanted to have that be apparent in the game. And that's that's part of the reason that it has an in-depth story mm-hmm. is that that's a big part of any good kaiju franchise is that, it, you know, I think someone put together a uh, some kind of chart that showed, like, the amount of screen time Godzilla has in every movie. And in some of them, it's as little as four minutes. I think the biggest it gets is, like, 15 or 20 minutes. And these really? movies are at least 90 minutes long, right? So, like, one of the longest-running movie franchises ever, and they're not just releasing, you know, monster fight compilations into theaters. People are watching them for way more than that. Yeah. So I wanted to do that, but I also wanted to respect, from an action game perspective, it can be kind of jarring when you're like, man, I'm having so much fun fighting, and then you have to, like, sit through minutes and minutes and minutes of cutscenes. Uh, so we wanted to have an element of the story that players could really invest in themselves and interact with. So that's where the archives come. If you're interested in learning about the lore and history of this world, all in there, and you're rewarded, you know, if, if you dig into every archive file, there's stuff you're going to see in the game and in the dialogues, all sorts of stuff that you'll be like, oh, I know what that means, or I know what that is, or I understand something about that that someone else might know. Um, because we think that that kind of gives it a little bit of an interactive gamey element. You can't really get that out of other forms of media. Yeah. So that was, that was the the idea behind it. I really like digging into it uh, because it's not just a, like a monster compendium either. Um, you have that of course, so you you can dig into the, the monsters that you fight, but you also have a ton of lore about all the other stuff as well. Uh, the energy source, Sheol. Mm-hmm. Uh, energy and kind of explaining um, 
what they think it is and and how they think it works and um yeah it, i think it adds a lot and i really like that you made that conscious decision of not forcing it upon the player but people who wanted to dig into the lore can do so at their own time yeah well and and it's funny because we also wanted to feel like there's more to the game world than what you experience in the game and so the 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 writer for the game the kind of the narrative director his name's uh unai he had initially written i think we had double or more than double what's actually apparent in the archives so he he constructed this whole history to this world. So even though you don't get all of it in the game, you can tell that there's links and hints to other things that that are happening. Um, we even we we did release a little. It was you know a, a kind of tie-in promotional comic, it gives a little bit of a prelude to the game because um, we always felt that it. it we wanted to make something rich enough that we could potentially expand it into all sorts of other media. One thing that I found, let me see if I can pull that up here. Uh, these images here where you actually have like the anatomy of Megadon, who's the, the first character that you, uh, that you control. Um, and just seeing this and, and seeing this in such detail, uh, I just love this. So I, I'm a big fan of old black and white horror movies and, and monster movies mm. as well. So just seeing something like this immediately caught my eye. I'm like, this is someone who definitely loves these movies and, and loves the genre. So this was really, really cool to see. Um, I believe we also have one for Tempest Galahad, uh, the robot uh, kaiju. Uh, do you do you call them kaijus if they're robots? That's like a philosophical debate. <laughs> I, <laughs> I I I just call it a a robot or a mecha. Oh, uh, mecha might be a better better term for it. Yeah. Um, so these are two of the characters that you can play as, and so far I've experienced four characters. Uh, is there more characters that you can play as um, throughout the game? Maybe that's spoilers. Uh, uh, well, it's, it, not not yet. There's only the four in the base game, but there is a DLC expansion coming out next year, and that's awesome. going to include the fifth playable character, which is very much inspired by the Power Rangers Megazord. So, ooh, interesting. Yeah, we're pretty we're pretty excited to we 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 held a a poll so that our fans could choose who they wanted. Um, to be the next playable character, mm -hmm. and this character won by by a lot. So, so I'm I've been playing around with it, like you know, in in this prototype version that I've been working on, and uh, they're really fun to play. So excited to release that! Oh, that's awesome. So, what were some of the um, uh, when you looked into the fighting mechanics uh, of the game here? What were some of the things that you? Um, what were some of the hurdles that you hit in, in uh, some things that you overcame and eventually made the game better? Well, if you had any, no, we definitely did. It's, you know, it's, it's, 
it was interesting when we first started Dawn of the Monsters. We started it a long time ago, and it wasn't Dawn of the Monsters. It was started in 2016. We created a prototype, and it was a fighting game. And it was actually I don't know if you know the the old Neo Geo game King of the Monsters. Yep. But it it was supposed to be a King of the Monsters like three. Oh, cool. Um, and so we had built, uh, you know, movesets and all this stuff to, to create this fighting game prototype. And there are a lot of similarities between fighting games and beat-em-ups, but there are a lot of key differences as well. So when we decided to turn it into a beat-em-up, we wanted to carry over a lot of the depth, but we wanted to make it less complex so that players could just more easily hop in. But another thing we wanted to do that was really important to us and was a pretty significant challenge in terms of like the amount of work it took was to make each character play significantly differently from, from the other. So we made a lot of early calls. We were like, okay, Megadon's going to be our kind of more classic guy. He's going to be a brawler. He's going to be have really heavy hits. And then we were like, okay, well, Tempest, for example, Tempest Galahad, we were like, She's going to use a gun. She's going to be a ranged beat-em-up character, which is not very common, even in the 3D beat-em-up. I had a we lot of fun like, playing with Tempest, by the way. But I'm glad. It, it, was, yeah. it was a challenge to get her to work in a way that it felt natural, but unique, right? And I think that was a big challenge for, for a lot of the characters, was to balance that. Um, Tempest is probably the most complicated character to play, but once you once you click with her, you're like, wow, this is pretty unique mm-hmm. in terms of this type of game um Ganira as well with Ganira, we were like well we want a character that can summon another character you know that can use another character as part of their kit and that was something that we were able to achieve and then with with Aegis Prime we were like we want something that's really fast and kind of targeting those devil may cry fans. really quick combos and a lot of more technical, speedy skill and stuff like that. Um, and like one of his moves is just just cancels his animation and gives him a speed buff so that you can just immediately combo into something else. So yeah, I think the the main challenge was making sure that the characters all felt very unique from each other. Mm-hmm. But in the same breath, if you're playing with a friend, none of them should be so complicated that you can't just have mash. Yeah, they they're definitely different enough, and they um, the the playstyle is very different for for each of them, and it feels right. I I, I definitely think that you 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 hit hit the, the mark on all of them because they're really fun to play. Uh, they have vastly different playstyles, but it's really fun just to mix it up. So I've been trying out all of them. Um, and Tempest is definitely one of my favorite. Uh, Age is super fast. And I mean, Megadon is Megadon. So it's super cool, brawler, strong, super fun. Yeah. Um, and, and Ganera is just really cool as well. And the, the, um, was the, the shield bubble mechanic and, yeah, um, yeah, yeah it's just, a lot of fun to play and, and to try them out uh, instead of being stuck with uh, just essentially skins of of different um, different characters, but they're they're essentially the same. So this is really cool to just have four 
very different characters with very different play styles. Um, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah. So, what are you um, what are you looking for uh, when it comes to the future of Dawn of the Monsters? Um, you said there's a DLC coming out next year. Um, yeah. Can you tell us a bit more about that, or is that uh, under under NDA still? I, I can tell you a bit. I can tell you a bit. All right. Uh, so the DLC, we're hoping to launch it like early next year, quarter one, quarter two, if all goes well. And it's going to be a mix of there's going to be some free content. I think nowadays people call that a title update, which is a weird word to me, but sure, we'll call it that. Free DLC. We're giving some free DLC. And then we're also giving some paid DLC, which will include the uh, new playable character named Meteor Temujin, which is a, a giant Megazord character, and um, and some other content included in that paid DLC, um, like a brand new game mode. So uh, I can't speak to the specifics of all the new content, but I will say that I guess one of the main pieces of feedback that we got from our players was this game is really fun. We're really enjoying it. We wish that there was more like they're like, we just want to keep playing it and, you know, have more content. So, so that's what we're trying to address is give way more content in a way that people can just keep playing it, trying new builds, new ideas, characters. Um, So there's that, that's that we're really excited about. I think it's going to be really good. And I think it's going to make the whole package like, really strong um but there's also something else that we're really excited about is that in early next year timing not 100 percent sure uh we're going to be releasing the game in japan so it hasn't been released in japan yet Ooh, cool and we're very excited about releasing it there because i mean it's made with a lot of love for japanese movie monsters mm-hmm. and in addition to releasing it there, it's going to get its own physical version that people can import if they want. Because it had a physical version through Limited Run here, but that's obviously sold out. So people missed out, they can grab it. And not only will it have all the English language or, you know, all the language options from the original, it adds Japanese voice act. So for those who really like their Japanese monster movies, you could play it in Japanese voice with English subtitles. I love and that. And that applies. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. And and we'll be we'll be adding that as a free update to uh, all versions. So, oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Because yeah. that, that's definitely my favorite way to play games from Japan or games published mm-hmm. in Japan. If they have Japanese voice acting and English subtitles, that's always my go-to. So that's awesome to hear. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. It, it's how I. It's one thing I really love about the Yakuza games. I mm-hmm. guess they're not called that anymore, but like playing them in Japanese with English subs just feels right. I don't know, it just does. Yeah, I'm actually playing um, Yakuza Kiwami Two uh, now in December oh, nice. because it's a it's a Christmas game. It's a holiday game. I, I it is. I didn't even think of it that way, but you're yeah. absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, they're all uh, they're all set in December, and they all have like Christmas trees in in stores and things like that. So we're we're doing a little game challenge in the HitSave Discord. So we're we're focused on holiday or winter games. So I chose that. Awesome. Um, 
that's so that's really cool uh, what was the um uh what was the reception like for the physical version that you released with limited run games uh it was great i mean it, people surprisingly at launch i'd have to double check but i feel like the physical outsold the digital by like a factor of like four times oh wow um yeah people really wanted it i mean it's it's a great package like the team of limited run made a like the standard physical is is awesome it's got a full color manual and stuff but the collector's edition has uh an amazing box art that makes it look like a giant old vhs box it's got collectible toys in it it's got a whole bunch of really cool stuff and um that one hasn't shipped out yet, but I, mm-hmm. I can't wait until it arrives. And, and it includes those those anatomical drawings as like posters, and I can pin them up on my wall. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at the, uh, the information from Limited Run Games here, and it seems like I missed ordering that one. So I'll have to pick up the <laughs> uh, the Japanese copy. This is really really nice looking. Um, this is really cool. The the minifigure set and the the um, yeah, the anatomical drawings and everything. This is really cool. Yeah, I think people, and maybe it's especially kaiju fans. I mean, they they like having a physical memento of something. I mean, we I have a another side gig that I do. It's a company called Seismic Toys, and we release. See if I have one around here. We release these like giant soft vinyl toys of Megadon and Ganera. Oh, cool. And, um, you know, we released Megadon back in 2019. And, like, these are, like, you know, they're not, I wouldn't really say they're toys. They're, like, collector's items, right? They're, yeah. Um, and so, like, this is, like, $125. They're $130. And Megadon sold out pretty quickly even though the game wasn't out for another like two years you know that's funny so and 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 right now we're doing a uh uh, we've got a a make ship campaign so that's like a they make plushies and basically it's kind of like kickstarter if if we meet a certain order then they make a bunch of plushies of megadon so we're doing that right now as well um and in August, we had a partnership with a ramen restaurant um, all around Ontario where we had a special Megadon ramen that you could come in and get. It was this massive, like, spicy, meaty ramen. And uh, if you uh, if you ordered one, you could enter into, like, a sweepstakes and get a free comic. And stuff. It was pretty cool. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, that's hilarious. <laughs> that's a really cool tie-in I, I like these kind of yeah. you know weird ideas and 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 different concepts that to me they they just they they made sense with the idea with the brand of Donovan monsters like what would a giant japanese monster eat like a huge bowl of spicy rum <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome so um to kind of wrap things up around uh, dawn of the monsters here what what are you most focused on and what are you most um uh, excited about for the future of 
Dawn of the Monsters and uh, the DLC that's coming out in the community that's um, gathering around this game? Uh, I mean, I know I can't talk much about it, but I'm really excited to see how people, what people do with the new content we're giving them. Like the character is a big thing. The new character um, is is really, really fun. Like it's always interesting as a developer, you can kind of get a little tunnel visioned and think, you, you know, I'll go into the combo lab and be like, yeah, I probably figured out every combo that there is. And then some random person on Twitter will be like, oh, check out this Tempest Galahad combo I made. And I was like, I didn't even know that was possible. <laughs> so nice. Meteor Temujin, so much potential for that kind of funny stuff. Um, and I think the new game modes people will, will really dig because they really are focused on being like, hey, this is something you can come back to over and over and over again. Experiment and try different things and post high scores. And so I'm just excited to for the community to get their hands on that stuff. And I'm really excited to see how the Japanese audience reacts to the game and what they think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. When um, When is it releasing in Japan? Do you know? Uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure yet. I think it's quarter, quarter one or quarter two, um, pretty soon. I'll be on the lookout for sure. I import a bunch of things from, from Japan. So this is, this is definitely something that I want to grab. Yeah. It's, it's funny. It's already up for pre-order on like Amazon, Japan and play Asia and stuff. I was like, Oh, there, there it is. I, even I better, <laughs> even better. I'll do that. That's awesome. Um, so my final question here is as an indie game developer and the ceo of an indie game studio um what are you most excited about uh, for the indie game scene and the indie game community going forward hmm that's a tricky question question um i think What's exciting to me, you know, in terms of where indie games are are going, is seeing like the more that big companies are heading into purely games as a service, purely online multiplayer stuff. I'm excited to see indies pick up the slack where AAA is not interested anymore. Um, you know, nostalgia is shifting away from the 80s into the 90s and the 2000s. Mm -hmm. I think that we'll see indies taking on more games and genres than we've expected and and hopefully see see a lot more indie teams grow into that like single A and double A space. Um, Because I feel like the most exciting ideas and games for me right now are coming from small teams. And if those small teams can get the budgets to make like bigger 3D games, I feel like they'll just be really, really exciting and really fun. It kind of remind me of why I love video games. I love that. I love that. And I couldn't agree more with you. I think what I'm what we're seeing from indies, uh coming out from indies is just amazing. They're they're so vastly different. Um yeah, I I couldn't agree more. <laughs> uh, so last thing here, how can people find you 
online, uh, 13AM Games online, Dawn of the Monsters online. Where where can we find you? So uh, 13AMGames.com is a great place to start. It's got links to our Twitter, links to our Discord. Um, we've got a pretty active Discord. We've also got a, a mailing list that you can sign up for on the website if you're interested in hearing about future games and news and things like that. Uh, as for myself, I have a blog that I rarely update, but I'm hoping to change that over the winter break, called controlallmonsters.com. Uh, I've got my Twitter at, at goji underscore guy. Um, and then I've also got, of course, Seismic Toys and that website and Instagram and all that kind of stuff. I'm, I mean, I've got, I've got my fingers in a lot of pies, but, uh, you know, typically if you follow me on Twitter, I'll, I'll kind of bring everything to, to, to that platform. Fantastic. And I'm Jonas Rosland here with HitSave. You can find me at Jonas Rosland pretty much everywhere and hitsave.org. And you'll find all the links to everything that we do. Thank you everyone for, for uh, viewing this indie game interview with Alex Rushdie from 13AN Games uh, and diving into Dawn of the Monsters. Thank you everyone. Have a good one. Mm -hmm.